Welcome to today's Word of Mom Radio here on the Word of Mom Media Network. I'm your host, Dory DiCarlo, and you know we are here week after week, show after show, breaking those myths that mompreneurs and businesswomen, especially those of us building our businesses from home, that we're just dabbling in between bake sales and getting our nails done, we're not. We are smart, we are savvy, and we are sharing the wisdom of women in business and in life. And I am looking forward to today's guest. Jill L. Ferguson is a serial entrepreneur and a former professor and higher ed administrator who founded Women's Wellness Weekends and Creating the Freelance Career. Through Creating the Freelance Career, Jill coaches wannabe book authors through the publishing process and works with founders of nonprofits and businesses in their startup and growing phases. Jill has also authored 14 published books under her own name, plus a bunch of books for others. I'm excited because Jill is going to add a discount for our listeners, so you can use Word of Mom for 20% off any coaching package for entrepreneurs and upcoming authors. So with all of that being said, Jill, welcome to Word of Mom Radio. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm excited to have you because I like the way you write. I really do. You know, I I try to be an authentic host, and so I always try to read our guests' books because it's interesting to talk to somebody about what they're writing. And so you had sent me a copy of Creating a Freelance Career, which really detailed and and fun. It's a how-to. And then you sent me the galley for a salary Cinderella story or how to make more money without a fairy godmother. And it was actually in story form and a really good story, but touched upon so much of what women go through when they're trying to ask for a raise and and moving forward in business. And I just, I enjoyed both books and I know you have a bunch more. So I have to ask you, at what age were you first published? And when did you start your first businesses? Why? What was your why, Jill? Um, so I started writing. The earliest I remember writing was at the age of five, actually. I wrote a kid's book, um, but that one didn't get published. Uh, but I, I started writing for publication and was published the first time at age 12. Um, and then I had pretty much been writing my whole life and really knew internal to me that that was part of my life's role was to write and to help touch other people's lives and provide information to them through writing, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, and for any age group, because I've written picture books all the way up through books for adults. And I started my first business when I was in my teens. I bought a franchise, a small franchise that created personalized children's products, including books like Letters from Santa with the kids' names in it, or books that had your child and other children's names in them, you know, in the neighborhood or the friends 
as part of the story. So that was the first business that I bought when I was 18. Unbelievable. So writing has always been what has moved you forward. Yeah. Well, in books, I've loved books since I was barely able to read myself. (laughs) We're a book-loving family. So I stopped in and saw my grandson today, and he was so excited that he got his new book. He just gets books from everywhere. So we got to read the Noisy Beach book this morning and he's four and loves to read and he reads yeah you know I missed a word no 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 Mimi you missed this word and he went back to show me (laughs) he just got the book because he's reading along with me now yeah it's a trip it really is so for you how did your family and your extended family influence the ideas of what you could do and what you could write about and things So, so my mother owned a beauty salon as I was growing up And she tells stories about even when I was, you know, one and two, I was in the playpen in the salon and they, and I would talk to all the women that were there and they would put books in the playpen with me and I would be, you know, entertain myself for hours just with all these books. So that's kind of when the books and the part of the entrepreneurial thing started was that my mother owned the salon, but it even goes back further than that. My grandmother on my father's side was a serial entrepreneur, and her last business that she owned was actually, she owned one-third of a construction company, where everybody who, you know, and we're talking about a very male-dominated industry, and I grew up in Pennsylvania, everybody thought she was the secretary or the office manager there. They didn't know that she owned part of the company. And she owned, you know, apartment buildings and investment properties. And she at one time also owned a salon. She wasn't a beautician though, like my mom was, but she, at one time she owned a salon as one of the businesses that she had had. So I grew up around entrepreneurial women. And so that was never, it never occurred to me that I couldn't do a full-time job and something else or start a business or, you know, whatever. And my brother actually is the same way. My brother has a nonprofit and he owns a bunch of businesses. He's also an ordained minister. It's always so fascinating to me because when you grow up in an entrepreneurial family, being your own boss, becoming an entrepreneur yourself, it's the norm. Yeah. So often when you are the one breaking that mold because you grew up in a working family, they look at you like you're out of your mind. (laughs) You would think that the people who would be the most encouraging would be your family and friends, but when they don't have that mindset, they really do. They're looking at you like, oh, I came from a long line of very strong women. So I love that you have that line. My grandmother left my grandfather, who was a gambler and a womanizer, with two kids, got divorced, moved to Florida, worked three jobs, came back to New York and opened a nightclub. Oh, so wow. I always swear that Helen Gurley Brown and, you know, all those women were banging shots with my grandmother, yeah. you know, figuring out how to do this. And same thing with my mom, you know, just I had really strong women role models. And I'm sure that that has to be such a an empowering thing. And one of the reasons, I mean, look at all of the multiple things, you know, here you are a professor and then working as a writer and a consultant. How did you manage all of those just, you know, working, building a business, writing, training, coaching. We talk about all the time the, the juggling act that women do. They have yeah. a lot of balls in the air. So so one of the things that I learned from my paternal grandmother, my grandma Jean, was the one that had all the serial entrepreneur kinds of endeavors. 
was that she believed that if there was something that you don't like doing yourself and somebody else likes doing it, that you hire it out. And she said, there's no shame in that. And so, you know, there, there's things that I gave up in my life, right? At the, especially at the time when I was working full-time as a professor and an academic administrator at one school and half-time at another university, and I was doing all kinds of consulting jobs with ad agencies and digital marketing companies, and I was writing books. I, don't, I never cleaned my own house because that's something that, to me, was just like, I, this is something I can farm out, right? Grandma's wisdom. And I will be very honest, I didn't have children at the time until I married my second husband, inherited stepchildren then. But it makes it much easier when your only children are furry, that you don't have to put kids in bed at night and all that other stuff. So that frees up a little bit of time. I just am very good at time management, but I'm also not afraid to work long hours if I need to and to get things done to meet deadlines. I'm going to say, and I've said it before, I'll say it again, giving birth does not a mother make. No, that's true. <laughs> Being a professor and all of the books, you know, you mothered a lot of people before you became a stepmom. And your furry friends never outgrow needing you. No, that's true. That's the big difference. <laughs> yeah. Having a dog. You know, you have a cat. Okay, you can leave a cat for a week. You have plenty of food. Um, I have dogs. Yeah. You have a dog. A dog yeah. is a perpetual two-year-old. Yes. <laughs> they never outgrow you. They always need you. You've got to work on their schedule. That's true. So being a fur mom, to me, is a heck of a lot more responsibility <laughs> than the two-legged kind. Because at least with the two-legged kind, you can have a rational conversation. I just watched my son, <laughs> son and his wife. They have three dogs. So Betty and Maude are their older dogs, and they raise them from pups. Uh -huh. These dogs are so well behaved. You could tell the kind of parents they were going to be by their dog. Lisa, yeah. on the other hand, is a rescue. Will eat anything. <laughs> Will chew anything. This dog, I was watching her one time. She grabbed a CD off the counter and was sitting there chewing it. I'm like, I'm sitting here. <laughs> I mean, it's not even like I'm bored. I yeah. was sitting right there. But that's why I'm saying, because yeah. you, know, you can have a rational conversation with a child and explain to them that you can't do this, whereas yeah. the dog is just going to look at you and go, like, do what? <laughs> well, especially some breeds. <laughs> the dogs. Just, yeah. So that's why I'm saying, you know, it's a lot more responsibility yeah. having those little four-legged friends because they have to be with you every moment of the day and you know but on the flip side nobody loves you like your dog does so that's true <laughs> and they yeah. love every time you come home you could walk to the car realize you forgot something yeah. and come in and they're greeting you like they haven't seen you in days you're oh, back. Yeah. <laughs> they have no time span they don't know <laughs> so what was it like for you though to go from pets to not be in a smom. My friend. Oh, I have mom. I still have the pets. <laughs> How old are your uh, stepkids? So my stepkids are now so when we got together, I should say, the youngest one was in high school. Um and I actually was the one that taught him to drive. <laughs> and uh, the year that I moved in with my husband, um his, his daughter, who is the second child, what, we dropped her off at college a few weeks after I moved in for her freshman year university. 
and his oldest had just graduated from university and a week after I moved in, he moved in and stayed for a few months before he got on his feet with his new job and then moved out. So they're, they're older. They're all in their mid to mid twenties to early thirties. Becoming a, a stepmom at any age can pose all kinds of challenges. Yeah. And very often kids that are older, for whatever reason, want to create all this resentment and all this anger and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, there's such a fence in that fine line that you walk. So obviously you had some good rapport there that especially teaching for your youngest stepson to, to drive, that yeah. does a lot. I think I, I was able to provide some stability for them that they didn't have otherwise. So the rapport was pretty good. I really love that. And on that note, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to say thank you to our sponsors. And we'll be back here in just a moment on Word of Mom Radio. She is brave. She is bold. She is you. And we want to tell your story. Are you ready to share your journey with us on Word of Mom Radio? Go to wordofmomradio.com and register as a guest. We want to tell your story because when you win, we all win. We all know a survivor. Some of our friends and family have made it through difficult times. Some of us don't make it. Losing a loved one to cancer, a car accident, or any other unfortunate event can be crippling and unavoidable. But one of the hardest subjects to talk about is suicide. Too often, our youth decide that leaving this place is easier than facing the struggle forced upon them every day. More than one in four children go through some form of bullying or another. Most of us survive with scars, but for some, the inner demons created cannot be recognized or treated in time to ensure they make it through. Bullying in every form is very much avoidable. It starts with me, and it starts with you. This is Kelly Carius from No Such Thing as a Bully, reminding you to do your part when you see bullying happen. If you don't know what that is, call 403-447-4404 or go to nosuchthingasabully.com. Don't let the name fool you. Stadiumbags.com is not just for sports fans. Our clear bags make it easier for you to get into any venue that you go to. And in today's world where we are so concerned about germs, the materials that our bags are made with are strong enough to stand up to the solvents that you can use to clean your bag so you know you come home safely. So check out stadiumbags.com. You'll see why we are the clear choice, because safety, it's in the bag. And we're back here on Word of Mom Radio. We are talking with Jill L. Ferguson on just all of the fun things that go on (laughs) as you journey on. So Jill, how many books have you written? Well, there's I have 14 under my own byline. And then, well, there's probably about a dozen that I've written under other people's names that have been work for hire projects. Or there's a particular app that I've written some romances for that they all publish under pseudonyms. I, I, I'm not saying the name of the app because you're, that's part of the agreement for writing for right. them is you're not allowed to say it <laughs> so, or pr- promote that you write for them. Do you so. enjoy writing under a pseudonym? Um, sometimes. Though, I mean, I, I, uh, I should say it depends on the subject matter, but I'm also at the point now in my career where I don't, take work from clients that I don't want to work with. (laughs) So I made a promise to myself this year that I would only work with clients that I really respect and enjoy working with. 
and with clients that respect and enjoys working with me. And I would only do work that I love. And if I don't love it, then I'm not going to do it. I think more women should make that commitment. Yeah. I really, truly do. I think it's very hard for us to ask for what we deserve, to say no. Yep. It's so easy. I love, one of the things I really loved in the book was stopping saying, I'm sorry. Yes. And instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm late, I liked that example. Now, instead of saying, I'm sorry, I'm late, thank you for waiting for me. Yes. When we express gratitude, it's such a different energy shift. It is. Than saying, I'm sorry. It it truly is. But I love that. I, I really liked that in the book because we do it all the time. We're not constantly apologizing because we have so much on our plate and we're trying to make it all happen. And then we feel like we've done something wrong. No, we haven't. Yeah. No, we haven't. We are doing our best. We are doing everything that we can. So thank you for waiting for me. Yes. You know, thank you for taking my call. However, I like the idea of turning that into a positive because I I just found a salary Cinderella story. I identified with so many of the women that I work with, that I, you know, interview, coach, whatever, because as women... We have a really hard time asking for what we're worth. Absolutely. It's yeah. amazing. It, it really is, especially when you're pricing a product, a service, and yourself. Yes. You know, asking for the salary that you deserve or a raise or a promotion and always worrying, well, what if they get angry? How does your manager know what you want to do and how deep you want to go into a company if you don't let them know? Yep. They might not consider you for a position because they didn't know you wanted the position. Yeah, exactly. Guys have no problem saying, hey, I want Joe's job. When Joe gets promoted, you know, I want you to consider. Yeah. We don't do that. Mm-hmm. And we need to. Yeah. We definitely need to learn that. And, and for you, what, what are the biggest lessons that you've learned? I think some of the biggest lessons I've learned is, number one, to um, keep an open mindset that every single person you meet could be an opportunity to collaborate, to uh, work with on a project or a company, to use as a source of information. And I'm not talking about using people. I'm talking about actually having genuine relationship with the person so that I know what your strengths are, you know what my strengths are, and if somebody says to them, you know, hey, do you happen to know anybody that blah, 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 that person is like, oh, yeah, you need to call Jill, or you need to call this person, and that I can do the same thing for them. And so I, I, because I think that sometimes we, we think of networking as this big, huge, scary thing, when it's not really, it's just talking to other people and getting to know them and helping make connections. And so I think that's number one, and staying open to all the possibilities that are out there. You know, I've gotten some of the jobs that I've gotten because I've just been open to hearing what people want or need, and then I consider, is that something I really want to do? And is it something that I can help them with and fulfill the need that they have? And I'll just give a quick little example, and this is one that I decided not to do. The place where I buy my dog food, they, it's, a, it's a raw organic dog food company. 
and it's local. It's within walking distance to my house. I walk most places in my neighborhood. And so we, we go in there with the dogs. And one day I was in there and she said, I really wish that we could find locally made bandanas and leashes and collars. And nobody seems to make them here. And the collars that I bought my dog, I'm, I live in California. The collars that my dogs are wearing came from Oregon. They're from some woman that I found online who hand makes these collars. And she said, but nobody seems to make them here in Southern California. And so that was one of the things, like, I actually started looking up the prices of the fabric and what it would take to make it and, you know, how much could you charge for this thing that you're making that's handmade and would it be worth it? Because to me, it's really important to try to buy local and to try to manufacture local. And so that that's just one example of like, oh, is this, and I decided that for me personally and the work that I do, that that really wasn't a business that I wanted to get into in the long run. But, you know, the possibility was there. And so it's just listening to other people and talking to them. How I read an article once about these these uh, romance authors, two, two women that are, write a lot of romance books, and they started doing seed money to invest in other companies' businesses based on the money that they were making from their romance novels. And they ended up being, you know, co-founders of all these different companies that they weren't working in, that weren't in their industry. But if there was a woman out there that had a really interesting idea and they thought it might be successful, they'd invest in it. And I love that idea. I love this idea of making passive income, number one, and also women helping women to succeed in whatever whatever that woman wants to do. Who do you look at as your role models, Jill? So from a writing standpoint, I've always been a huge fan of Judy Bloom. not just because I liked her books when I was a kid, but one of the reasons that I love Judy Bloom is because she's so effective writing from picture books all the way up to books for adults. And she's never been afraid to tackle subject matters that other people won't wanna, don't want to talk about and have said, like, oh, you can't write about that. And she's done it with such finesse. And she stands up for what she believes. And I actually, I had the opportunity in the ni- late 90s to meet her when she came to do a book signing in Seattle. And I, uh, I'll admit, I completely lost it. I was so overwhelmed with meeting her that I was just sobbing. But, <laughs> but I had the opportunity to tell her that and what she meant to to me as not only a reader, but also as a writer. So I think that she's amazing. I think Madeline Albright is just amazing because she just broke so many barriers down and she seemed to be, have such dignity and strength. It didn't come across to me as being this like ball busting version of how she thought she needed to act around a bunch of men. So that that's another one. Good role models. Yeah. <laughs> really, really. As we're wrapping things up, what do you want to say to that want-to-be author? What do you want to say to them? So a couple things you need to know if you are a want-to-be author. And this is what I tell all of my clients from the beginning. I ask, why do you want to be an author? And the reason that I ask that is because one thing that a lot of want-to-be authors don't know is that 90% of the books that are published in the world I'm going to say this one more time. 90% of the books that are published in the world never sell more than 1,000 copies. That's the reality. And it's because there's millions and millions and millions of books being published every year. And so if your goal is to be a published author because you want to see your name in print, 
or you want to write a book that supports the business that you do so that you are the expert in that field. Those are fabulous reasons, or you have a story that you really want to tell. And this is regardless of if you want to go the traditional publishing route or the self-publishing route, okay? But you need to know that reality because too often what I hear from people is, I want to write a book because I want to get rich. And it's like, yeah, that's a, probably not going to happen. <laughs> you know, the J.K. Rawlings of the world are, are very, very rare. And the Stephen Kings and the James Pattersons, right? And James Patterson, even in his own book, attributes his marketing success to the fact that he was an ad executive before he did this. So he wrote mysteries specifically because he knew they would sell and, you know, and he knew how to position himself. So that's the first thing you just need to realize is why do I want to do this? And then what need will the book fulfill? So those are the, the kinds of questions to ask yourself and the wisdom, I think, that you need. That said, I think that it can be very, very enjoyable to write a book, to go through the process, to try to go the traditional publishing route if you would like to do so, or to the self-publishing route, which is a little quicker. And I, I've had books published both ways, um, and it depends on the subject matter and as to which I go the route of and how easily I think it would sell traditionally, or if it's a book, like I wrote a pandemic romance called Voice of Love, and I literally wrote it in 2020, and I knew it needed to come out immediately because the pandemic was, well, of course, we're still ongoing with it, but in 2020, it seemed like it would last, you know, a finite period of time. And so that one I chose to self-publish because it made more sense to do so. Tell us about, you offered a discount. Yeah. So if you, coach, so, so tell people what this what your coaching packages are about. I want so to I have a few different coaching packages and I have one that's six months long for entrepreneurs. And if an entrepreneur wants to work with me, we meet weekly for that six months and work on whatever problems they're having if they're starting their business or trying to grow the business. And then I have two packages for authors, depending on the types of book you're writing, how long the book is, where you are in the process. One is actually taking your concept through the publication process, writing through the publication process, and editing through the publication process. And the other one is if your book is almost done and it is more polished, but it needs some fine-tuning, and then helping that book get published. And then there's also an editing package if you have a book-length manuscript or an e-book-length manuscript and you need that to be edited, either proofreading or developmental editing, there's a package for those. And so the word of mom discount, all one word, will give you 20% off any of those packages. That is at creatingthefreelancecareer.com, all squished together as one word. All of those links will be live. I'm going to thank you in advance for anybody taking advantage of them and let everybody know how they can reach out to you, Jill. Thank you. Yeah, you can reach out to me through that website or you can email me at jill at jillferguson.com. I encourage everybody, reach out. Enjoy some of Jill's books. Especially, I'm serious, ladies, get a Salary Cinderella story. Yes. Get that book because I'm serious. It touches on one of the biggest issues I think that women face, and that's being able to ask for what we're worth. Yes. So I really encourage you to read that book, Jill. Thank you so much for being here with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been a lot of fun. It was my pleasure. And for all of you tuning in, 
Thanks so much for being here. We're going to close out with our fabulous theme song from Smith Sisters and the Sunday Drivers. So till next time, this is Dory DiCarlo saying go out and create a marvelous you. Bye for now. She is sure. She is sure. She is strong. She is strong. She is true.